0: I like giving people pet names. I don't know why I do this, but I do this. Does anybody do pet names like, like uh, um, I don't know, kids, pets, which makes sense, pet names. What's there, what are some funny ones? What do you got? I want a, I want a funny one. A, a, a church-friendly <laughs> funny one. This goes out on, on the internet, so keep it, you know, PG. Go ahead. gravy gravy all right the the thing you never get to live down right you spill it in lunch you spill it one time and you're gravy for life brutal were you did you Mom, Kayla, her sue. Kaylee Sue to embarrass her yes how many parents have names to embarrass your children the whole reason you have them i love them in the back what else anyone else what's that oh sorry smash you smash you Matthew, everyone, this is right, everybody knows Matthew, he drums for us. He is now to be known churchwide as Smash You. This was not my intention. I still love you, but I'm absolutely gonna call you that. <laughs> go ahead. Bertney? Yeah. I accidentally called you Trashley one time because Travis and Ashley go together. It was an accident. <laughs> it was absolutely an accident. It just came out, and I was like, I'm sorry. I felt so horrible. She rolled with it, though, so I, I sometimes use it. Anyway, I have discovered that in my marriage, uh, Laura is not here today. The girls are, the girl, they're all at uh, Laura's parents' house. The girls are all sick. It's a, it's a huge mess, but uh, Laura, I wish she was here because this, this would be so much more fun with her here, but um, I've discovered that the pet names that I have for Laura are inappropriate. Um, not inappropriate in necessarily a way that's like you couldn't say them, but when I say them, people are like, "Dude, you shouldn't call your wife that." <laughs> so, and several of them are really funny. One of them is uh, "chunky face." <laughs> I've called her this in front of people, and I always get like this: like, I, you, 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 like people are looking for punches. But see, Laura's got she's. Ever since we've started dating, she's like, my face is so fat. Every time we take a picture, oh, my face looks fat in that picture because she has a chunky face, I guess. And I, I love her face. I think it's, I love it. Like, so I just smush it. I'm like, I love your chunky face. <laughs> if you didn't know this about our relationship, you would obviously be looking at me and be like, dude, don't call your wife that. But it works for us because that's, that's, that's the relationship we have. Well, my funny story, if I haven't been funny thus far, my funny story is this. And I was thinking about I was thinking about uh, the the text of Deuteronomy. We'll get there, I promise. (laughs) But I was thinking about how what we're about to talk about today really revolves around people misunderstanding their relationship with God. And because they misunderstand their relationship with God, they say things they ought not to say. And so uh, one of the the things that happened to us about a year and some change ago, so some of you have seen my wife, she's just, just this little petite thing. Just our, our, our whole our whole marriage, fifteen years or so now. She's she's always been just this little petite thing. But when she got pregnant, she was just like, blam! Right? I mean, it was just, and it was. It was just right out front, like it was nowhere else. Uh, she's just just this big, this big, this big belly, and it was so funny to me. And so anyway, this is uh, this is towards the end of her pregnancy, and so she's got like that nine month waddle, right? I mean, we, I know that you're not supposed to say this, but this is real talk, right? You got that nine-month waddle. You know what I'm talking about. I saw that head nod. It's fine. You tell Laura. She's, she'll hear it. It's online. And, uh, and so we're at the Alamo. You all remember the Alamo? Uh, you know how they had the tables, and you'd have to kind of climb. If you're in the middle, you had to climb under the tables to get to your seats to see the movie. Well, Laura's got that nine-month waddle, and she's, like, trying to get up underneath. And we're with the Dushes. Yeah, you already know she's laughing, and she's and I'm and I'm trying to help her up, and I say this is my pet name for her, not chunky face. I just say come on, Tubby, <laughs> because this is the one time. Like she's always just so skinny, so it's this one. And so th- I've been calling her this for months. And it's a big joke. We all laugh about it, I promise you. And Emily, who is standing there, turns from I'm, I'm sweet, fun, like, lovable Emily to I am going to murder you. <laughs> don't you ever call her that. And she came at me like I was afraid for my life, <laughs> which is understandable because, dude, don't call your wife Tubby. Like, they don't like that. Note to self, dating a young couple who did an amazing job for us. Thank you. Don't ever call her that unless you have permission when she's pregnant that one time. It was so, it was so funny. I just, I, I love it. I, I look back at that and laugh all the time. Uh, because for Emily, obviously I understand why she was offended for Laura. But for Laura, it was like it was an, in, an inside joke within our marriage. And we, we have this experience. I mean, you're, you see this all the time. You see it online. Maybe you experience it. You get an email or you send an email and, and people take what you say wrong. They take what you say, and, and, and then they come at you with this, with this venom because they misunderstand what's happening. They misunderstand the situation. They misunderstand the relationship. They misunderstand what is going on. And one of the problems that God's people have, as we've been talking for the past several weeks, not only about putting God first, but also about the things that we ought not to say to God, is that people misunderstand our relationship with God. We misunderstand who he is and what he's about, and because of that, we say things we shouldn't say. If you want to turn in your Bibles, I want to look at our text here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9. If you want to use the pew Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's cool. Um, Just go ahead and turn to page 153. This is where I'm going to be, second column, top top of the second column. Page 153. We'll dive into scripture here for a minute. He begins with this, this, this word, hero Israel. Now, if you've been here for the series, then you remember this hero Israel. You remember that word here in Hebrew is shema. And that is not just to hear, but it's also to obey. That is, if you hear the word, if you hear God telling you to do something, then of course you're going to be wise, you're going to be smart, and you're going to do what God has told you. To do So, here, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go in and dispossess the nations, greater, mightier than you, cities, great, fortified up to the heavens, people, great, tall, the sons of the Anakim, which is fun to say, right? I mean, it's got a good, like, fantasy, like that should be in the next Lord of the Rings movie, Anakim, whom you know and whom you have heard, it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak?" Now this, of course, sons of Anak is to say the Anakim, right? Those those mean the same thing. And if you remember with me, the Anakim are related to that story in Genesis chapter 6 where the the divine beings come down and they they mate with the daughters of men and they create these kind of weird superhuman dudes, giants, the the Nephilim, of which Goliath eventually, if we kind of telegraph forward beyond this text, Goliath, the giant that that David fights, is, is, is related to that. And so they are going to face fortifications that are up to the heavens, they are going to face some bad dudes, the enakim. Know therefore today, verse 3, that who, he who goes before you is a consuming fire. He is the Lord your God. He will destroy them, subdue them before you. You shall drive them out and make them perish quickly, says the Lord, as the Lord has promised you. So let's let's... Pull our map up here real quick. So just to kind of put it all into context, you can kind of see, you got the whole world. If we zoom in on Israel right here, this is the territory, and these are kind of the territories as they lay at this time period. And the Israelites have defeated these kingdoms here, and they lay along the Jordan River, and they as a mass are about to begin to enter into the land of Canaan right here, the Canaanites. This is the promised land. Now remember that they have been wandering around here for 40 years because of their disobedience and God has brought them back after 40 years to try again. And God says, I'm not gonna lie to you and pretend like like this is gonna be easy. Sometimes in church we kind of hear that. People tell you it's gonna be easy. I am never going to be that person if you haven't figured that out. (laughs) It's not gonna be easy. But God is the consuming fire that goes before you. So while you might face fortifications up to the heavens, tall towers, tall walls, tall cities, full of tall dudes who are mightier than you, stronger than you. I love that God says that. He's, These guys, they're, they're stronger than you. But what? But the God who goes before you is a consuming fire, and he, he will give you the victory. And that's important to keep into keep in mind that that is what God is doing here. He is, he is fulfilling his promises, and there is nothing that anyone can do to stop this power that God is going to fill them with and send them forward with. And the problem is, and I talked about this last week, the problem is that sometimes, in moments of crisis, we come to God. Anyone ever do that? Moments of crisis, you get on your knees and you start praying. We get those prayer em- raise his hand little dude all right what's your name luke did i get that right luke all right i'm happy to have you luke thank you luke everyone else right we all do this we we come to god in these moments of crisis these problems things are bad you're sick you're you're alone you're sad you've lost a job somebody's passed away we get on our knees we get these prayer emails right help me And we come to God, and then when times begin to level out, we begin to sort of lose perspective. And God, who was first, becomes second, third, fourth, fifth. The problem is, as we lose that perspective, we begin to say things that we ought not to say. We begin to misunderstand what has happened and who has brought us the victory. And we see that here in verse four. Look at verse four there. God says, listen, and here it is, the do not say verse Do not say in your heart, is what it says there. Now remember that the heart is the seat not just of our emotions, but of our will. Don't say in your mind, don't say kind of deep inside of you this. After the Lord your God has thrust out the people before you, it is because of my righteousness. It's because I'm good. It's because I deserved it. That the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Don't say that. Don't say it's because I deserved it. Don't say it's because I'm good. Don't say it's because I'm righteous. Rather, he says, it is because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Now, this is one of those sort of really important clarification moments. These people are under the impression or begin to think, well, the reason that we have received such blessing, the reason that my life is so privileged, the reason that everything is going so well is because I deserved it. Because I am good. And God corrects them and says, no, it is not because you are good. It is because I am good. That's an important distinction. It's an important distinction and we, it, seems, it might even seem like sort of small and you would say, okay, fine, and move on. But this is really important. I want to hover here for a second because this is really important. We often think about God as loving and merciful and compassionate. And that's true. God is loving and merciful and compassionate. Do not leave this room saying, Jordan said he's not. No, he is. But he is also good. And along with goodness comes of necessity a distaste A horror of evil. These are two diametrically opposed ideas. Goodness and evil. God is as far toward good as you can possibly conceive and then take a thousand steps beyond it. You with me? God is good. And that means then that God is also the one who judges and deals with evil. And there are two kinds of judgment that, that are a part of this. The first kind of judgment is what we might consider uh, eternal judgment. That is, there is a day of judgment, a day that is in the future where God will raise the dead and all will stand before his judgment seat and you will answer to God for what you have done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that's terrifying enough because if we find in front of the judgment that we are not fit, then we are sent To hell. And this is why our churches tend to press so hard this idea of decision. As we kind of wrap our services up almost every time, not every time, but almost every time, I I say, hey, if you need prayer, if you need to talk with somebody, if you need to get your life right, you need to do that today because you don't have any more than this moment This is the moment you have to get right with God. There isn't another one. And so our desperate plea to everyone is this. Get yourself right with God. And it isn't that you need to be perfect. It isn't that you need to sort of set everything aside. But but it's, it's that we come before Jesus and we say, we need you. We need your salvation. We need your power. And we submit ourselves humbly to you because only in your hands can salvation be found. And we want to be free from that. But there is also a temporal, a right now judgment. And this is just as important and frequently often missed by Christians. And that is this. It's found in Romans chapter 1 verse 24. In this section of Romans, Paul is talking about the ways in which people rebel against God. And Paul summarizes the way that God deals with people who are rebelling against him by saying this. He says, And therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. That line is really important. God gave them up. That there comes a place where we will say, and I've heard this so many times, I like I literally wish I had a nickel for every time. I have heard so many people say, well, I know the Bible says I ought not to do it, but I feel as though God isn't going to judge me for it. There is nothing more dangerous than that statement. And it isn't dangerous because you're contradicting the Bible and blah, blah, blah. It is dangerous because that tells me that God has stopped convicting you. If you can do something that you know is wrong something that you know in scripture has laid out this is not what I should be doing and if you know that for a fact and yet at the same time you say to yourself yeah but I don't feel guilty about it that tells me that God has stopped convicting you and that's one of the ways in which God deals with sin because the problem and this is a fundamental understanding that you have to under, that you have to have if you're going to have a biblical worldview is this it is this that if you the more the thing that you love you will love more of does that make sense If you love good, you will pursue good. And as you pursue good, you'll learn to love good more. And you'll be gooder and gooder. (laughs) You can correct me later. If you love evil and you begin to cultivate that in your heart you will produce more evil you will produce more sin you will continue to to travel that road and you will love it more and more and more and more and and what that does is that drives you away from god and it is its own its own judgment because to be living outside of the joy of god the joy the relief the peace that god can give you as you live in holiness that is joy but to live in a constant rebellion against God, even, even in the sense that you don't recognize it. And that's part of the problem, is that people who are living in that sin, they don't recognize that this is, this, is, this is bad for me. This is bad for me. The problem is we love that which is evil, and we frequently hate that which is good. Jesus says this, people loved evil instead of good. They loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. He says this in John chapter 3. And so one of the things that we ought to be doing as Christians is we ought to be pursuing goodness and we ought to be fearful of any path that takes us towards evil. And what we ought to do is we ought to be heartbroken. We ought to be heartbroken. I am heartbroken that I see more Christians arguing about whether or not the government should be involved in gun control than praying for the families. And for the person who did the shooting. Our sights are bigger. Our sights are eternal. Our sights are the, are the salvation of souls. Our sight is bigger. And I don't see our sight bigger. I see us trying to win arguments. Our hearts should be broken. God does not rejoice Does not rejoice at the judgment of evil. God hungers for all people to come to repentance. And I don't see that hunger in us, guys. And it should be. God is pressing on these people to recognize that the reason that God has brought them into a right relationship with Him, the reason that He is blessing them and giving the victory, the reason that He is bringing them into the promised land is not because they are so much better than their enemies. It is because God is so good, because God has opened to them a door to salvation, and they are beginning to enter into that. That is why. And this is an important thing because what we have here is God saying that part of the reason not only is the judgment of these Canaanites, the judgment of these Anakim, but also God's promise to Abraham. And if you remember, Abraham was faithful to God, and as was his son Isaac, and as was his son Jacob, and as was Joseph, the son of Jacob, if you know your, kind of, your, your Bible timeline a little bit. It's okay if you don't, but there is a faithful line of people Before we get to the Jews that we're talking about here today. And God is looking at that and he is remembering the promises. And he is remembering his goodness. And these two things are intersecting at this moment to the benefit of this people. And this tells me how important your legacy is. How important your legacy is. Because if they did not have Joseph and Jacob... And Isaac and Abraham and this line of faithfulness, it is hard to say what would have happened. In fact, we have this, this story. Uh, that I'm not going to read it, but you can see it there in your Bible in uh, chapter 9, verses 13 through 29. In 13 through 29, God reminds them. This, let me just remind you why it isn't because you're so good. Because remember that whole golden calf thing? Remember that time when Moses goes up to the mountain and you you see the fire, you see the lightning, you see God, you see Yahweh, right, the name of God, you see God on the mountain and Moses has gone up there and Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights and he's receiving the Ten Commandments and and the laws and he's communing with God so he can come down and he can bring it to the people, but 40 days is just too long to wait. Can I get a witness? Right? 40 days till Christmas and I'm dying, waiting for 40 days, and one day goes by, and two days, and a week, and two weeks, and they're like, man, where's Moses at? What are we going to do? And then they get into their minds, well, let's have Aaron make us an idol. And so they make this golden calf, and they're like, behold, our God, the one who led us out of Egypt, because we need something to look at. We, We need something to direct our attention to. And God says, these idiots, I'm done with them. They have rebelled against me at every single opportunity. I'm done with them. And God says to Moses, I'm just going to do away with them. And I'll use you and I will make from you. I will make from you a great, a great nation. I will, I will use your children to c- complete my purposes. And we read in verse 25, if you want to pop down to verse 25, Moses talks about how he deals with this problem. He says, so I lay prostrate. Who, you know what prostrate means? like flat, not on your knees, but you're just face down, you're just laying out. I laid prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord said he would destroy you. Now, I gotta be honest with you. After about five minutes of prayer, my mind starts wondering, am I alone? <laughs> I mean, it, it, and... And I don't think Moses like, prayed the entire, it wasn't like he never got up and ate, never did anything else, but he was constantly laying down before God, prostrating himself before God for 40. I mean, we pray for someone for a couple of days and we're like, man, is this guy healed yet? I'm tired of praying for this person. Because our patience is so low and our commitment to God sometimes is so low as well and our attention span is so I mean, it's all understandable, but I love this. Story. I, was just, I was just wowed by that. Moses, for 40 days, you prayed and prayed and prayed. And maybe you would have kept praying even beyond that, but God finally gave him his answer. And I take from this another little mini application as we've been going through this text, and that is this. You should pray harder for each other. You shouldn't give up so easily in your times of prayer. Moses is uh, greater than us. <laughs> that probably goes without saying, but Moses is greater than us. 40 days and 40 nights doesn't seem like a long time when I'm thinking about Moses. And for us, maybe, maybe for us, we need to pray harder and longer for each other and, and commit ourselves to having that great legacy and, co- and continue on. Well, what we've seen then in this text... We saw that thou shalt not say line, and uh, so let's, let's, let's wrap this all up, uh, and let's begin with the first, the first do not say. The first thing that we heard when it was do not say, we were supposed to not say, this is too big for me. As, as the Israelites are facing those, those mighty walls and those mighty men, God says, don't say we can't do this. Rather, what you need to say is, the Lord my God is in my midst, a great and awesome God. And I, I challenged you to use that to use that today because God has not changed. God is still in our midst, and God is still going to empower us. He's still great. He's still awesome. He still can empower us to accomplish his will. At the same time, we we're told to say, not to say, well, it's all me. When the victory comes, when God does defeat that giant in your life, when things, if you can look at your life and say, yeah, everything's pretty, pretty cool, it's fine, it's, it's going well. What we ought not to say in that moment is, well, it's going pretty well because I'm so skilled. Because I'm so great. Instead, we should give glory to God and say, it is God who gives me power to accomplish. God says, again in chapter eight, he says, don't say it was because of you. You need to understand it was because of me. Today, whoop, we heard this. We are not to say when we find ourselves in a position of blessing and victory, when things are going well, we are not to think of it as being because we deserved it. Now this is a particularly dastardly temptation to those of you who have been Christians for a long period of time because I don't know what it is about Christians when you've been a Christian for a long period of time but suddenly your nose gets longer and there makes it easier for you to look down at more people, right? Some of you guys are so guilty you can't even speak up. It is so easy for us to find fault in others. So easy for us to look at other people and say, well, why aren't you better? Why aren't you doing well? Why aren't you as gooder as me? And we begin to forget that the reason you are where you are is because all the way back there, God had grace on you. And we forget that it is now our obligation to not lose sight of that, but rather to take that grace that was offered to us way back there and offer it today. So, do not say it was because I deserved it, but rather, and here I just rip straight from Ephesians chapter 2, that lovely, lovely passage, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not because of your own doing. It is a gift from God. You could probably say that every day this week and be okay. Would do your soul good. If I could summarize and just bring it all down, I would say it is a gift from God. So, So frequently as Christians, we forget that all we have is a gift. Everything that God has given you is a gift. It's a gift. And what does a gift produce in you? Because I see Christians as torn up and at odds and freaking out as everyone else around us. And my brothers and sisters, it ought not to be. We ought not to be those people. You see, we brought nothing to the table, but Jesus Jesus brought us to the table. We brought nothing. Jesus brought us. And if that's the case, then I can have something that that so many other people in this life and in this world and in your work and in your families and in your friendships don't have. And it's a beautiful word. Are you ready for it? I mean, I know we've been going for a while, but it's not that long. Relief. 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 Take a deep breath. Go on. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Everything's going to be okay. Now, I didn't say it's going to be easy. I didn't say it was going to be easy. I did not say it was going to be easy. And I didn't say you're going to like it all the time. I didn't say that either. I didn't say the way will be smooth and there won't be any bumps or ruts or or crooks, or, or, or rocks in the road, I said, it will be okay. Because everything that we are facing is temporary. But as we said last week, what, is, what are we? We are eternal, and so we can have what so many people around me don't have. I can breathe in, and I can breathe out, and I can just feel awash with the sense of relief that whether I face the giant, or whether I face the calm, cool waters of vacation, Whatever it is that I'm facing, I have a God who is awesome enough to give me the victory. And I have a God who has, who has prepared the victory for me and is allowing me to enjoy it. I can have relief. And that relief should not be something that I just enjoy for myself. Because everything that God has given you as a gift is meant to be turned back out to the grace of others. And so what should relief pour out from you? It should pour out a peaceful life. That while other people are fighting and worried about the minutia, that, that all of the little quips and, and, and squabbles and, and problems, and, and whether you're talking about politics, or are you talking about family squabbles, or are you talking about people at work who are going nuts over nothing? How many of you got people at work going nuts over nothing? Right? Whatever those little things are, you're the person who has relief. You're the person who has peace. And you could be the person in the room who says, all right, everybody, chill out. It's all right. What are we going to do about this? Because you have a God who has filled you with peace that passes all understanding. I want you to leave this room today with several things. The first thing being joy, but the second thing is being relief. And the third thing is this. I want you to leave with gratitude to God. When someone gives you a gift, when someone gives you a gift, what do you feel? Something really good. Something like a, uh, a rebel uh, t-shirt. <laughs> or a batleth, if anybody saw uh, what Lord <laughs> got me for Christmas. You feel a sense of gratitude. We've given, been given the greatest gift that we, we could have been given. We should have this sense of great relief because God has poured his salvation out onto us. But then we should have this sense of gratitude to God which allows us to remember from whence we came. And to say God has been merciful To me, on this long, and most of you, if you're like me at all, jagged and messed up road of my life. When I was so lost, God found me. That gratitude should be poured out in praise to God, but it shouldn't just stay with you and God. If it does, then you've missed something big. Because it's to be poured out to other people in grace. Grace so that people recognize you as a Christian because you're the person who is, one, not freaking out when everyone else is freaking out, not fighting when everyone is fighting. You're a person of relief and peace, but you're also the first person to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and I forgive you. Those are things that should come from us so fast because we're the people who have experienced such immense grace that it's easy then for us to pour that out in grace. I wasn't going to end here, but I will end here. There's a a wonderful story, and all of you remember it, I'm sure, if you've grown up in church at all. It's, It's such a strange story, and scandalous even, and we sometimes miss that a little bit, but Jesus is at a dinner with all of the all of the the, the elites, the, the good people, the people who could say, "Well, I deserved this because they've been good their whole lives. They followed God their whole life. They went to Sunday school and church camp, and they went to uh, uh, the Christian school, and then they went to Great Lakes Christian College, and they've just they've been serving God their whole life. No impurities at all, never." Never watched a rated R movie. I don't know, I can't come up with anything else. So wearing the what would Jesus do bracelets. The whole nine yards, they got it all. And Jesus is standing or sitting with them. They're eating. And then this woman comes in. And she falls at Jesus' feet. And she weeps on his feet. And she she washes his feet. If you can imagine non-shoed Jesus who has wandered the streets with the horses and the dirt and the dust. Washes his feet with her tears, dries his feet with her hair, and everyone around is like, dude, you shouldn't let her do that. Don't you know who she is? Don't you know her reputation? Don't you know that she's not one of us? And Jesus says, she's the one they'll tell stories about 2,000 years from today. Because she out of her need, has loved much and been forgiven much. And because she has been forgiven much, she can forgive and she can love. And you all don't get it. And if we need to be anyone today, we need to be that woman who realize how far God has brought us and all we can do is say thank you, thank you, thank you. And then we can turn all those thank yous out toward everyone around us and offer them grace. Yes? Now, as we come to a conclusion, we'll have elders on either side here. If you you need someone to pray with, if you need someone to talk to, we aren't here to judge. We aren't here to reprimand. We're here to walk with you. We're here to walk together because you can't live the Christian life alone. It's too hard We're here to be family and to to share one uh, one another's burdens and to pray for one another when times are tough. And if you need that kind of help, come and see them. Come and find somebody, one of us, after church. But make today the day that you get right with God and that you experience his relief and the gratitude that comes because of it. Let's stand and sing this song to our God.